Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for how you've met met us this morning. Lord, we pray um, your empowerment over the word now. We pray that you'd fill Pastor Jim with your wisdom. Thank you, Lord, that your word is living and active. And I pray, Lord, that you would come and touch our hearts, that you'd meet us in the places we need to be met. Thank you, Lord, that you are both creator of the universe, glorious God, and our most intimate friend and partner. Thank you, Lord. Help us to carry those intentions now as we learn from your word, get to know you better. Come and be with us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we are um, continuing a series of studies which we will conclude next week um, entitled Out of the Box, Increasing Kingdom Influence. And so this morning we are um, uh, continuing that study together and uh, we're going to be focusing on a particular area of uh, influence which we as, a, as, as the church are called to influence. Now, just to give you some context for our conversation this morning, um, this summer we did a, a whole series entitled Kingdom Culture. And uh, in fact, I would encourage you to go to the website, um, BethelTwinCities.org. You can pull down the MP3s of this and, and listen to those, or you can pick up CDs in the back of these various um, messages. And this summer really laid a foundation for this fall and the series we're doing, because um, I'm submitting to us as a congregation this as a uh, sort of a orientation for us in our understanding, that there is a kingdom culture which transcends all earthly cultures and transforms our earthly cultural worldview, values, and practices. Now, notice the two words that are bolded there, transcends and transforms. So there is a kingdom culture which is um, larger than time, larger than, uh, than geography, that's larger than um, a particular language or cultural customs or anything. There's a, there's a kingdom culture. Uh, Lynn kind of referenced that earlier this morning when she was inviting you to become part of the family of Bethel Christian Fellowship this house of prayer for all nations. There's something that unites us together and that something transcends. There's a kingdom culture which transcends all of these other things. And and the other thing to note is that it also transforms these earthly cultures. We have people here who worship from over 25 different nations who are part of our congregation. We have a family of churches, seven different church churches who are part of our family, five of those that are specifically ethnic congregations. But I'm submitting to us that that each of those cultures bears within it hints, yes, hints of kingdom culture, but also distortions which need transformation. And that transformation comes through submission to the King, Christ, and His kingdom. So it transcends and transforms earthly cultural worldview, values, and practices. A a key scripture for us that we keep coming back to because it's significant for us to get a hold of is Romans 12, 2, 
which says do not conform to the pattern or what I would say, again, these cultural worldview values and practices. If you embed that into that, do not conform to the earthly, the, 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 the worldview values and practices of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. So what we're seeking to do together in these times that we are sharing with one another is to have our minds transformed. We're looking for transformation by the Word, through the Word of God, to begin to bring us into greater alignment with His good, pleasing, and perfect will, with His kingdom, culture, pattern in our lives. All right. So the context of culture, we, I, I put it up there, worldview, values, and practices. Um, just, just to remind us that, that at, the, at the heart of things, we, we often look at the outside, and in fact, we try to bring about this transformation. World governments and, and you know, everything, all, all of the systems of this world attempt to bring transformation from the outside in, and the, and the best that they can bring is some sort of artificial conformity, okay? Because you can't really bring transformation except for from the inside out. And so sometimes we try to, to reform practices without transforming worldview, and the minute you try to do that, people are going to go back to their old practices if there hasn't been a true transformation here in the innermost part of our lives. So practices are things that we see, the way we act, the ways we think about time, the way, you know, all kinds of different practices are part of the context of culture, all right? Values inform those practices. Those are the embedded things out of which we do, you know, and they're often unconscious. But even underneath values are worldview, the way we think about the world. And this is almost primarily unconscious until we sort of bring it into the light which we've been trying to do over these past several months, is kind of bringing that worldview into the light. So this is the context of culture, and very important for our conversation this morning, because we are continuing, as I said, uh, in this study about increasing kingdom influence. And here's the premise that we're working with. As our worldview, worldview, values, and practices are shaped by a kingdom culture, we collectively become catalysts of transformation in the earthly cultural systems around us. So as we are transformed, we become agents of transformation. The Bible says that we are ambassadors of reconciliation, reconciling men to God. And to one another. Well, this is a a rewording of that, but essentially it's the similar kind of of understanding. We're we're ambassadors of transformation, kingdom culture transformation. We are ambassadors of a kingdom culture into a culture that desperately needs transformation in these areas. Education, religion, arts and entertainment, family and kinship, marketplace, media, and government. So we've looked at, over the last course of the last couple of months, 
the first six of these areas of influence this morning, we're going to be looking at the last, that of government. And here's what we believe. We believe that the Spirit is leading us as a people out of the box. And when I say out of the box, I mean out of the even the conceptualization that we have in our minds, which is a misconception, that this right here is church. What happens here on a Sunday morning in the context of these four walls, this very lovely box, but nevertheless this box, and we think, well, that's church. But that's not church. We are the church. We're the church. And God wants to sow us out into the culture in which we live, take us out of the box to increasing kingdom influence in these various earthly systems. We are not... Remember, and I've I've given you three words, and I'll remind you. They're not up here on the PowerPoint, but let me remind you again. The the two ditches that we tend to to fall into, the church historically down through the ages has fallen into two primary ditches. One is escapism, which simply chooses to sort of bury its head in the sand and ignore the earthly culture around it. Or embracing and simply going ahead with whatever that kingdom culture, I'm sorry, whatever that earthly culture says, you know, whatever the polls say, whatever it is that's the, you know, whatever common wisdom is out there is saying, go ahead and embrace that culture. But, Instead, we are called as a people not to escape or to embrace, but rather to proactively engage the culture around us with the kingdom. All right. So this morning, increasing kingdom influence in government. And now, I have to tell you that as speaking publicly about these things in, in the context of, of, of the setting of a, of a service, it's, it's difficult for me because there's so much here that we could speak about. So I feel kind of constrained just by the realities of time and, 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 and this particular setting. I feel like I'm using this big, broad brush and going, and hoping somehow that you're able to fill in the pieces. But... That's what I'm going to do this morning. I'm going to do some broad brush things. Try not to get too irritated with me by the broad brushes that I'm going to do. But hear what I think the Spirit of God wants to say to us in the midst of that and beneath that so that we can together see increasing kingdom influence in the arena of government. I I mean, is anybody aware that we have a government? Everybody knows that. It could use some kingdom influence. Okay? We've got elections coming up. We've got all of those things. We're going to talk about that a little bit in a moment. But first of all, I just want to kind of give you some perspectives here and, and, and invite you to think about something that's really at the level of worldview and values, okay? And I'm using the word philosophy to encompass this morning worldview and values. So I'm just using philosophy. There's, and, and I'm going to outline for you three different potential ways of viewing and understanding philosophies as we think about government. And then we're going to get to some really practical things. All right? So 
First of all, and here's I'm using this term very uh, specifically and carefully, but I understand it raises all kinds of things. So we're going to talk about the religious right, the religious left, and then the prophetic center. Okay. So in the religious right, the philosophy, and this is, again, broad strokes, not everybody, okay, just, I'm using a big broad brush. Biblical morality and freedom are central to God's plan for people and nations. Within the context of the religious right, that would be an understanding. Secondly, the free enterprise system and the political structure of capitalism are mandated by Scripture. These are scriptural ways. You can go into the scripture and find evidence for the free enterprise system and capitalism as the means of providing morality and freedom which are central to God's plan for people and nations. So they're connected with one another. America, in this political philosophy, is a country that has been chosen by God for a special mission to the world to spread the, the values, these values of freedom and morality, primarily through democracy, capitalism, free enterprise. Those things are the ways in which, so we can put democracy up there as well, perhaps the political structure of capitalism and even democracy and, and those things. And so we spread the values of freedom and morality in this way. And, and therefore, the church and other people must rise up to save America by returning it to its original economic, political, and spiritual principles. Okay, so, so this, is, this is sort of an overarching philosophy. So when you, when you hear things, when you read things, recognize that people are coming out of particular worldviews. Now, not everybody is going to ascribe on the religious right is ascribing to these particular values and, or those kinds of things. Or, or that particular philosophy, but that's sort of some of what undergirds. If you dig down in, you'll find that those are some undergirding principles by which we view. It's a lens, then, through which we view the world around us, and specifically government, all right? I know I'm, I'm using much more, um, by the way, I'm doing much more teaching and sort of, I'm, I'm talking about mindsets here because there's a renewing of our minds, so... We're going to get to more scripture in a moment, but I just, I've got to give you some background first. Okay, the religious left. Justice and concern for the poor are central to the biblical vision of life. Now, remember, you've got to hold these two together, okay? On the right, biblical morality and freedom are central to God's plan for people and nations. And the religious left, justice and concern for the poor are central to the biblical vision of life. The Marxist critique of capitalism as the major source of injustice is correct. And the overthrow of capitalism is necessary for justice to be established. Where on the one hand, the free enterprise system and the political structure of capitalism are mandated by scripture. On the other hand, there is the viewpoint that those things actually create more inequity and more injustice in the world. And therefore, those things need to be undermined and, and need to actually be changed. They need to be overthrown in order for justice to be established. America is an imperialistic nation which supports right-wing governments, uses an unfair amount of the world's resources, and indifferent to the needs of the poor and oppressed. 
On the one hand, remember what we said earlier, America is a country chosen by God for a special mission to the world, spread the values of freedom and morality. On this hand, America is an imperialistic nation, which, which does things which aren't very helpful for the cause of justice, for the cause of concern for the poor. That America is imperialistic and, and oftentimes um, imposes itself on other nations. Okay? And finally, the church in this particular philosophy must take sides against the oppressors in support of all economic, political, and personal liberation movements. So the church has to take side against the oppressors because of what they're doing. And, 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 and again, now in both of these philosophies, we'll come back and and, and there's, there's scripture that they will use and, and different ways in which they will contend for these foundational principles. Do you, does anybody kind of see how this gets played out? Do you, do you see how this gets worked out in the, in the political discourse today or what, what I would just call the political bomb lobbying that happens? <laughs> right? And everybody's talking past each other. Okay, are you with me so far? Is everybody okay? All right. So here's what I want to submit to you this morning as an invitation for a, a third way. And a third way is not a compromise between the other two, but actually is a prophetic um, direction which takes us sort of past this polarization of right and left. And that is what I'm calling the prophetic center. This is actually where I, I believe that kingdom culture uh, life together <laughs> mandates that we go. Is into a place, this is where I believe the church, because here's, here's my, you know, I've only been a minister now for what? Today is Emily's 28th birthday, my oldest daughter. So I started the week before she was born. So I always know how long I've been senior pastoring, 28 years. First up in Kettle River and then down here. So 28 years. So I've been in ministry 28 years. And here's what I've observed. I've observed that oftentimes the church has found itself co-opted either by the right or the left. And that we're called to something that is, at its essence, different. To engage from this prophetic center. So, let me give a few thoughts related to this. And there's many more thoughts that I could give. But I'll give you a few. The ultimate point of reference is not a political philosophy, but rather an orientation around the king and his kingdom. This is very important and essential to understand. The ultimate reference point is not around a particular political philosophy. It's around the king, Jesus, and his kingdom pursuits. So we need to understand, we need to step back for a moment and step down, as it were, into that, this foundational reality and truth. Let me pull that out a bit more. 
In this understanding, all economic and political systems are under the powers of this world, so every economic and political system can be misused. So no earthly system can ultimately bring morality or justice. It's not going to happen. through So, so the, the concern for biblical morality and freedom and the concern for justice and concern for the poor are both important but will not ultimately fully find their um, fulfillment through any earthly system. That every earthly system must continue to find itself being witnessed to by something that is entirely different, which is the system of kingdom culture. We talked about this when we talked about economics some time ago. I was an economics major. In a socialist philosophy, the simplest way to put it is this, in economics and a socialist philosophy, the state owns it, the goods. In a capitalist society, we own it. I do. The person, the individual. In a kingdom culture, God owns it. God owns it. And we're stewards of what he's given to us. It's a different way of thinking about it. All right? So, third. Being oriented in a kingdom culture re- requires living out both private morality and public social justice. It's not either or. It is both and. It requires both biblical morality and public justice concerned. All right. Let's go on a little bit more. No earthly nation, listen carefully, no earthly nation is either chosen or rejected by God. In a fallen world, there can be no, quote, Christian nation, nor can nations be fully transformed by earthly revolutions. So therefore, there is, you know, and and this is one of the, in America particularly, there's this, you know, manifest destiny, and there's all of these things, and it goes back to, you know, the Puritan, you know, there's lots of historical things that we could go into here. And yes, many of the framers of our Constitution were Bible-believing, godly men who were shaped by kingdom culture values. But many were also shaped by the Enlightenment, and they were not. And so, so even within the context, these, we hold these truths to be self-evident. Not God-evident. Self-evident. It's coming out of this, not this. For those of you listening on tape, that's out of me rather than out of God. So don't get too turned by this, okay? And there is this this thing, you know, American, we're, we're, you know, we are, God's blessing has rested upon this country in an incredible way. But we are not uniquely chosen by God. 
as opposed to other nations and other people whom he loves as well. Nor can, you know, earthly revolution isn't going to bring about transformation. So whatever side you're on, whether it's the chosen or the revolution, neither of them fully, because what really needs to happen is transformation by the Lord. And so the church is the only divine institution in fallen society. The only one. And is the focus of God's activity for the salvation of the world. So therefore the church must prophetically live out the values and behaviors of a kingdom culture world view. We have to live this out into the culture that we live in and specifically engage the government that we live under. All right. So practically, what do we do? These are going to sound very simple, and they are, but we don't have time to go into fuller, and there's so many things that we could talk about, but I'm going to just focus on three real quickly. First of all, pray. I mean, it says in 1 Timothy 2, 1 to 4, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Come on. we. You think that your prayer is meaningless. It's not. Prayer shapes nations. It shapes governments. It shapes the reality around us in, in, in ways beyond what we can even begin to imagine. So this call to prayer This invitation to prayer given to us is not something given casually. It's given something very specifically and clearly and spoken to a people who were living under a government that was not providing a whole lot of support (laughs) for who they were as this growing people of God. Secondly, participate. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. This is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. They're God's servants. They're they're His ministers giving their full time to ministry of, of government. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. If you vote, then vote. All right. I've asked Jeanette Gudgel, she, she, uh, knowing what, where the series was going, she, we have an opportunity to hear from Jeanette, who, who has been involved in government for years and years and years, and specifically, she's standing before you today in her specific role as an election judge. So she's going to talk to us just, just some information for us that's really helpful. We sat down and talked about that this week. This is just very practical. Some of you, it'll be very simple and you know it. Some of you, this might be some new information. So uh, let's welcome Jeanette. Thanks. Thank All right. You. Following that is something uh, in seven minutes. I, I think it's important. There has always been a battle in, with among Christians, as to how deeply you get involved in government, in politics. Um, And it came to a culmination, really, I think, 
in the 1930s when the uh, German Lutherans decided not to be involved. And Adolf Hitler won, became dictator by one vote. So uh, it's important, I believe, and, and that's my bias. But on the other hand, from a purely practical standpoint, and it depends on what your lifestyle is, you probably pay upwards of 50% of the money you earn to one government or another. We're talking about federal income tax, state income tax, sales tax, property tax, and all of the other fees that go along like um, sewer and street and those kinds of things. Uh, there is also uh, gas tax, sin tax. <laughs> Hopefully none of us have that problem. But uh, there, our lives are, it, it, 50%, it could be even more, but I'm, I'm just using a generalization. So we're, we're all in, in this whether we like it or not. Now I have a, my ballot, and by the way, there's in Ramsey County, there are 147 different ba ballot designs. So if you'd like to look at mine, that's fine, but it's not going to do you any good. Uh, <laughs> but it, uh, and most of you have seen this. By the way, I'd like to uh, congratulate Rose Holmgren, who passed her citizenship this week. <laughs> I just I think that's the most wonderful thing. Those of us that were born and just accept this, uh, born into the country and just accepted it, we don't realize what a privilege it is. Now, on the, on the front, what I call the front side, on the left-hand side are listed the federal offices. Did you know there are 10 people running for president? You know, to listen to the news, you only think there were two or maybe three. Uh, there are five people running for Senate and three for the House of Representatives. Uh, you need to know these people. You need to know the ones from your area. Now, we can all get, this. I happen to be voting absentee because I'm a, an election judge, but you can get a copy by going online and uh, if you just, the name of your county, and if you put, uh, if you Google or Bing it, it'll be uh, the name of the county and um, elections. And from there, it will be voter information. You put in your address, and out comes the information about where you will vote. And by the way, many of you will be voting in different places because of redistricting. And then there will be a sample ballot. Now, when I first moved here, I, I, I don't know where I had been for all those years, but I'd never lived in a place that had all those signs. And... Can you believe the number of people whose last name is S-O-N? It's unbelievable. And I, I, who do you vote for and how do you? Well, you no longer have that excuse. The Internet is so wonderful. And anybody who is really a serious candidate will have a website. So just go online, do the name, find out where they stand. Do they, what, what, what's their background? Actually, the website is a resume. You'd never think of hiring somebody to take care of your child 
who didn't, who'd never worked with children or who had no, no background. The same is true with people who are running for office. What's their background? What's their education? Where do they stand on issues? The, the middle column, I believe, is the most important. These are the state offices. The, your state senator and your state representative are your neighbors. They probably live down the street from you. You need to know them. You need to be able to call them. They're, they're your employees. By the way, all of these people are your employees, and you need to, need to take that attitude. At the bottom, uh, the next thing down are the constitutional amendments. And we have heard the, what was your term about bombs? <laughs> Lobbing bombs. Um, both sides. But the most important point is just under the title. Failure to vote on a constitutional amendment will have the same effect as voting no on the amendment. So you need to vote yes or no, but you need to know that you can't duck out of this one. You, if you don't vote, then you're voting no. And then on the far right are your county. And some of you have county commissioners who are running. And there are some pretty heavy races there. You need to know about those people. Uh, just a, a totally, no, it isn't biased opinion. It's a reality. Your county commissioners make $75,000 a year for a part-time job. You need to hold them accountable. Uh, our county commissioner was vote, in my area uh, was elected two years ago. So... My county offices are Conservation District Supervisor, District 2, District 3, and District 5. Who is a Conservation District Supervisor? Who are they supervising? What are they doing? You need to find out. Then you get, then you get to the back. <laughs> and I don't know about you, but I, it's the judges. And I just <laughs> I didn't lose it. Why do you vote for judges? Well, let me tell you why we do. Our Constitution was written about the time of statehood, which was 1858. And just before that, the federal Supreme Court made one of their most famous decisions, the Dred Scott case, which said that white Americans could own black Americans. And to the credit of Minnesotans, they said, nah. We want to be able to fire our judges. We want to be able to, uh, to have a say. And so you have, and on my ballot, uh, all of the, the Court of Appeals and the district judges are running independently. So um, if I have the time, I can fill in ovals. Um, if you vote for or, or don't vote at all, it's fine. You also have places right in. I have participated in the write-in recount, or not recount, write-in count. You wouldn't believe how many votes Mickey Mouse gets every time. <laughs> However, at the top of the judges are three Supreme Court judges who do have people running against them. Remember, the Supreme Court, like the federal Supreme Court, makes those final decisions. So it's important that you check the website Check each of those. There are three incumbents, 
And typically the Supreme Court, it doesn't always happen this way, but typically the um, governor appoints a Supreme Court judge, as Governor Dayton did this year, um, our first black woman, and uh, she will be up for election in two years. The previous governor appointed, happened to appoint these three judges. So um, check them out. Decide who you're going to vote for. Um, prayerfully decide, I would say prayerfully decide on all of your selections. If you live in St. Paul, uh, we have a, a school district referendum or levy, and uh, you may have that kind in wherever you are, a special election for something. One of the things I do like about our ballot is, for example, in, in this case, by voting for this ballot question, you are voting for a property tax increase. So there's really nothing subtle about our ballot. They tell you up front what this is for. Now, beyond that, it's important to pray. This is a praying church. You need to pray for discernment, for direction, for the people you vote for. You also need to pray for the people who are working on the election. There are 1,400 of us just in Ramsey County, so we're probably talking about three or 4,000 throughout the state. We go in at 6 o'clock, set up the polls, and usually we're through shortly after 9 at night. That's a long day, but it's a fun day, and it's a wonderful opportunity, and it's a wonderful um, challenge uh, for us. Then you need to pray for the candidates. Pray for grace and peace to those who lose and pray for strength for those who win because they have been politicking and campaigning and will not probably have much of a chance to rest before they have to go to work. And then finally, pray against the enemy. Pray against fraud. Pray that the enemy's eyes will be blinded, there will be confusion, um, you probably know more about that area than I do. But we need to pray that that what is a good and important event in our lives is indeed an honest one. So that's Pastor Jim. All right. Thank you, Jeanette. I'm so grateful for uh, what a... What a wonderful congregation we have of people who, who uh, participate in so many different areas. So thank you, Jeanette, for your service in that and for informing us this morning. That's so helpful. Worship team, would you please come on up? The final thing that uh, we do in terms of engaging is this whole concept of being a prophetic witness. One of the key scriptures we've been using is from 1 Peter 2.9. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful life, wonderful light. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. We have this opportunity to be a prophetic witness in the culture around us. We are 
this holy nation that does transcend even earthly nations and brings that transformational power. And I love a a professor that I had at Wheaton College 30-plus years ago, uh, Robert Weber, and and wrote this in one of the books he he wrote this. He said, the most powerful weapon the church has against the breakdown of morals and injustice in our culture is not the restoration of a civil religion. It is rather the preaching of Jesus Christ as Lord, the invitation for people to join with Christ's church, and a renewed understanding of the church as the universal society of God's people called to live in obedience to Jesus Christ's teaching. I want to end with Revelation chapter 10, verse 15. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, And there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he will reign forever and ever. The kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is the reality in which we live. Stand together, please. We're going to sing a song we haven't sung in a long time, and then we're going to pray. We're going to pray together, and then I'll bring a benediction. I will. It's called, Lord, we pray for this city, but we're going to, just because of the context of this um, gathering and this specific topic this morning, we're going to sing, Lord, we pray for this country. We ask for mercy here. Lord Jesus, together as a people, in obedience to your word this morning, we do pray. We pray for our country and we pray for its leaders. Lord God, those who are servants, servants of yours and servants to us. Lord Jesus, we know that the challenges before them are so great. We're asking, O God, for mercy to come. Lord Jesus, you have said that the marks of your kingdom are righteousness or justice, their peace or shalom and joy in the Holy Spirit. We know that, Lord, no earthly government can bring that to pass. So we ask that as you take us and sow us into, Lord God, the culture around us, that, Lord, you would use us to help bring forth, Lord God, that which no earthly government can. That, Lord, we would be agents of righteousness and justice. We would be agents, O oh God, of Your peace and shalom. That we would be agents, O oh God, of joy. That we would, as You've called us to do here, radiate life and joy. Jesus, only You can do this, O oh God. Lord, with the upcoming elections, we pray for wisdom and understanding and discernment. We pray, O God, that You would raise up whom You would have to lead in this season and this time, both for nationally and locally and state, Lord God, in every dimension of government, Lord God. We pray, Jesus. O Lord, Do your work, O God. Do your work, O God, in our country and in the countries of the world, Lord God. 
We're so grateful that you have brought us here, Lord, to this country. We are grateful for all that you have bestowed of blessings and favor on this country. Lord, may, may this country, Lord, align itself more and more fully with you and your heart and your purposes. And Lord, God, we pray for the countries of this world that they too would find themselves coming more in alignment with you. Lord, you said even now that you are reconciling all things to yourself, things in heaven and on earth, things visible and invisible, that all powers will come under your authority. There will come a day when every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And for and towards that day, we lean our hearts and we cry out to You, Maranatha, even so, Lord, come. Come. And now, with hands open, receive the benediction, and then we're going to, for those that want to stay and worship, we're just going to make some prophetic declarations and worship this morning as we go. But I want to pray right now and ask that you would be filled afresh today with the immeasurable love of God the Father, with the irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ with the inexhaustible strength, power, comfort, and hope of the Holy Spirit be with you and yours as you go from this house to your house, sent to make disciples of all nations. Go with the banner of His goodness and favor over your life until we gather again either in this house or in our eternal home. I bless you, people of God, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.